over 20 don't answer the questions. So you guys, there's some questions here. I'm going to show some things, things that have passed away in the last 10 to 20 years. So the first one is, if you're under 20, do you know what that is? You guys shout it out. What is it? What is it? It's a film. And how many pictures can you take? It says right there. 36. And how many pictures can you take on your phone? A lot. Okay, the next one. Do you know what that is? What is a phone book? It has phone numbers in it. That's how you used to look up if you needed to get someone's phone number. Okay, next thing. No, no, no. What type of stamp? You have to lick the stamp. When's the last time you've licked a stamp? Okay, next one. Do you, do you know what that is? A floppy disk. A cassette tape in 1990, 443 million cassettes were sold. In 2009, 32,000 were sold. How many of you have a car that still has a cassette deck in it? Okay, you of course have a. Okay, next one. And how many of you ever had that problem? Right there, okay? This year is estimated, uh, some consumer group estimates that 80% of you are going to buy some gift that is technologically based. And yet, five to ten years from now, that gift will be obsolete. Think about this, a two-year-old smartphone is considered old. Isn't that nuts? I have still... Gifts that my parents got me for Christmas 40 to 45 years ago, they're called Hot Wheels. They aren't obsolete. But a lot of the gifts we're going to get, think of this, a student who goes into college now and takes um, computer science, what they learn in freshman year is obsolete by the time they're seniors. Things that disappear, things that go away. And today... I want to talk about Christmas. Because at its heart, Christmas means that no matter what else will disappear in the next decade, God's love for you will last forever. At its core, Christmas is a story of God's love. Now what I just said to you is what I said two years ago at Northwest Covenant Church in Mount Prospect. Those words had deep meaning to me, but I was hiding something from the congregation. Let me explain. December 18th, 2014, 7.30 p.m. at night, I was walking home from church. I got a phone call from my doctor, Dr. John Lightfoot, phoned me on my cell phone. We were friends, and so you usually don't get your doctor to phone you at that time of night. He phoned and said to me that I had an adenocarcinoma. I said, what in the world does that mean? He said, you have lung cancer. 
He also told me that I should not make any major decisions in the next few days because I would be numb from what he had just told me. Well, I told Mary, and we were told to set up an appointment with a surgeon. So on Christmas Eve 2014, we sat in a surgeon's office and discussed whether we were going to have surgery on the 28th of December or January 13th. We went with the 13th, but I must confess, I did not tell the congregation that. So on the fourth, this is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and the fourth Sunday of Advent at that church, I stood in front of the congregation and said words to them that I needed to hear. And then on Christmas Eve, I didn't want to tell them that I had cancer before Christmas, so I waited till after and told them. But I had heard the Christmas story hundreds of times. You have heard it hundreds of times, and yet it spoke to me more loudly than I had ever heard it before. And maybe you need to hear the story again this year. And the promise of God I want us to hear today is the promise, and the hope I have from that promise is that it will guard your hearts and your minds now and forevermore. And it's the promise that the angels said to the shepherds long ago, do not be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Amen. What we know is the Christmas story is recorded for us in two Gospels, Matthew and Luke. They take different perspectives. Um, and last week we looked at the story from Luke. And so today I want us to uh, look at it from Matthew, and I want us to consider four um, characters um, in the stories. The first two characters are groups of people, the Magi and the shepherds, and then the next are two individuals, Simeon and Anna. Each is different, and God speaks to them and through them in different ways. So let's look at Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1. It said, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. 
I'm going to jump over to Luke chapter 2 just to finish the story. Not the part of the shepherds, but it's um, a little later on. It's in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. It says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus. The angel, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. And when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two, or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phenuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So I want us to consider four characters. The Magi from the East, the Shepherds, Simeon, and Anna. So the Magi from the East, Matthew says, Magi from the East came and worshipped Jesus. But who are these Magi, and why in the world did God speak to them through stars? Well, oftentimes the Magi are translated wise men. And there are four great world religions that are monotheistic, meaning the belief in one God. The first is Judaism, second is Christianity, third is Islam, and then the last is Zoroastrianism. Magi was a term used in the 6th century BC to denote followers of Zoroastrianism, or Zoroaster. You know, well many of you know a Zoroastrian. You have listened to his music. It is Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of Queen. He was a Zoroastrian. Many of the Kurds who were over in the Middle East are Zoroastrian. Zoroastrians were followers of the truth. They believed in one God, creator of all things. 
And the Magi's were followers of truth. And these are the people who came and worshipped Jesus. They came to worship Jesus, fully God, fully human. And so the wise men, they had been searching, searching for centuries, searching in the stars for the sign of this child. So most likely, the Magi were Zoroastrians. Zoroastrian, if you go back and understand a little bit about that religion, they believed there was one God, but that one God had a son and would send this son to the world, and God's son would be the Messiah or the Savior of the world and would die and then rise again and would defeat all the powers of evil. So there was this concept of God's son being the Messiah in Zoroastrianism. And somehow God spoke to them through stars and plants to let them know about the birth of the Son of God. Now most astronomers think that there was a significant or there were significant events in the night skies between BC, or 6 BC and 1 BC. Now there's a lot of disagreement as to exactly which events in the sky we're talking about. And it basically comes down to when did King Herod die? Because Jesus was born when King Herod was still alive. The Jewish historian Josephus says that King Herod died after a lunar eclipse and before the Passover. There was a lunar eclipse in 4 BC and so many people think it was 4 BC that he died and so they have to figure out what events in the night sky the Magi would have seen. There's also the theory though that Herod died in 1 BC. There was a lunar eclipse there then as well. And so there's some debate as to this. Basically, it's going to come down to does the constellation Pisces refer to Israel or does the constellation Leo refer to Israel? How many of you have a zodiac on your floor at home? You don't. I was raised to think that the zodiac was of the devil. And believe me, I think that horoscopes are spiritually dangerous things. But when I went to Israel a number of years ago, in 1987, we went and visited a number of first century synagogues, and guess what they have on their floors? The Zodiac. Tried to figure that out. I would like to talk more about when, what, was, what did they see in the night sky, the star. But it's, a, it's pretty complicated and it gets rather technical with dates and plants. But let me just give you a, a brief glimpse of what probably happened. Um, an astronomer, Michael Molnar, um, points out that in the east is a literal translation from the Greek phrase en te antele, which was a technical term used in Greek mathematical astrology 2,000 years ago, and it described very specifically, when a planet would rise above the horizon just before sunrise. It would rise, and then when the sun would come up, it would disappear again. And that term, in the East, was a term used in Greek astrology for the rising of a planet and then it disappearing when the sun came up. Greek words for um, planets are wandering stars. You know, if you look up in the night side, the stars never move in relationship to one another, but the planets do, and so the Greek word is wandering stars. 
And so basically, you need to know something about astronomy, and then you need to know something about astrology, because the Persians, people in the East, thought that events in the sky spoke about what was happening on Earth. And so, what they, without getting too technical, basically what happened is, there's two events that would have happened. One is, Jupiter rose in 5 BC, Jupiter rose and was, did this where it rose in the east just before sunrise and then disappeared. Jupiter was seen as the king of the stars. It was also seen to represent divinity or God in action. In 5 BC, well, sorry, in 3 BC, another event happened. Jupiter was in the same location as Venus. How many of you have ever seen two planets real close together? It's pretty significant in the sky. The wise men would have seen this. Venus to the Persians was considered the goddess of fertility. And so the thinking is Jupiter appeared close to Venus, revealing that a divine being was going to be born. And in 3 BC, this appeared in the constellation of Leo. Many historians think that Leo was the symbol for Judah. And so what is Jesus called? He is the lion in the tribe of Judah. Now, why did God speak to the Persians this way? Well, they were astronomers and astrologers. These were the wise men. If you go back in Daniel and read the first couple chapters of Daniel, these were the magicians and the astronomers and astrologers of Nebuchadnezzar. But to the Jews, God spoke through the scriptures. And so here's the prophecy from Isaiah chapter 60. It says this, Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes around you and see. They will all gather together. They will come to you. Your sons will come from afar and your daughters will be carried in the arms. Then you will see and be radiant and your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. A multitude of camels will come to you. The young camels of Midian and the Ephah all those from Sheba will come. They will bring gold and frankincense and will bear good news of the praise of the Lord. And so there's a prophecy in the Old Testament saying this is what's going to happen. Nations are going to come. But these scriptures weren't given to the Persians. And so God spoke to them somehow through the stars to let them know that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, had been born. And when the Persians or the Zoroastrians or the Magi, when they see this, they don't go to Rome, the capital of the world at that time. They go to Jerusalem. They go to Israel because they know God's son is born in Israel. Now this is all a little confusing. I've spent a lot of this week reading it up and you can read loads and loads of different theories about what actually the Magi saw. And it's not really important what they saw or how God spoke to them. What's important is that they responded. And what was their response? 
they go to worship Jesus. The question for us isn't how God spoke to them, but what do they do? What's their response? And the question for us today is, what is our response to Jesus? They come and worship Jesus. You don't worship a human. You only worship that which is divine. And so the Magi didn't come and just bring him gifts. They came and they worshipped him as divine, the Son of God. And so think of this. God spoke through his creation. The stars in the sky are not there by chance. And you are not here by chance either. We are not just some random occurrence in the universe. You are here for a purpose. And God has a plan for you. And it all centers around Jesus. So the Magi, they were searching. They were searching for this child to be born. And when they saw the signs, they respond and come and worship Jesus. The Magi, they were the elite of this foreign country. But God spoke to another group of people, the lowest, and the shepherds. We talked about them last week, the shepherds. They were the lowest class of people in Jewish society. And the text says to us that the Angels came and brought them good news. They are totally surprised. They aren't searching. They aren't hopeful. They are just totally surprised. But they respond to the angel's message. And they go and they worship Jesus. Now think about this. What would it have been like if the shepherds and the magi were there at the same time? The shepherds probably would have said to them, So, you guys hear from some angels? No, no, we saw a star. Oh, You didn't get angels. I wonder if the shepherds thought that other people had heard, that they, you know, the angels would have gone around and told other people. What would they have thought when they realized they were the only people the angels came and told the good news about Jesus to? The shepherds were surprised, but when they hear the good news, they respond. The next character is Simeon. Simeon is recorded in Luke chapter 2. We just read it. And basically Mary and Joseph go to the temple to present Jesus to the, at the temple and do for Jesus what was required in the law. Simeon received a prophecy from God that he would see the Messiah before he died. And so he receives this prophecy. And what does he do? He responds by going to the temple. God spoke to him and he went. He trusted in the promises of God, and he was hopeful. He had been hopeful all his life. So he had a word from God, God, and he responds. The last person is Anna. Anna is a prophetess. And Luke also included a little description of her. And I think it's very important. Why does she get included in the story? It says that she is from Penuel, from the tribe of Asher. And I love that Luke included this. But to understand the importance of that, you need to go back to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis 32 records the story of Jacob wrestling with God. And he names that place where he wrestles with God, Peniel, Penny meaning face, El meaning the name of God. And he says, I came face to face with God, I saw the face of God, and I was spared. My life was spared. 
I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And that place was called Peniel. Penuel means face of God, and Anna is from the city named for the place where Jacob met God face to face, yet his life was spared. And now Anna meets God face to face in the person of Jesus Christ. And because of that, her life is spared. Anna is a person who had been preparing her whole life, and she responds when Jesus comes. And I love that from the very beginning, the very beginning, women are included in the gospel story. And they are the first to share the good news of the gospel story. The Magi were searching, the shepherds were surprised, Simeon was hopeful, and Anna was preparing. And the one thing they have in common is, though, that they all respond to Jesus. The question for us is, have we responded to Jesus? And I love when I hear people's stories about how God has worked in their lives to bring them to salvation. And everyone's story is different because God works with all of us differently. But it all centers around Jesus. Turn this around a little bit. God is the one searching for you. God is the one who wants to surprise us with the good news of his love. God is the one who makes promises and gives us hope. And God is the one who has prepared all things to work out in according to his plans before the beginning of creation. God is the one searching for you today. There is no better time to respond to him than right now. Maybe you have been a follower of God, but you've never heard the good news through Jesus, of salvation through Jesus Christ, and all you have to do is come and accept him as the Son of God and your Savior. Come and worship him today, not just by singing to him, but worship him by accepting him. And your life will be changed. The promises for us, but the promises for all people everywhere at all times. Come and worship him today. As the wise men did long ago, as the shepherds did long ago, as Simeon did and as Anna did. And we will give God the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to know of your love for us. But it's also a privilege, Lord, to be able to share that good news with others. And Heavenly Father, to know that you have a plan and that we are part of your plan, that everyone is part of your plan and nothing is a surprise to you. And Lord, you have figured out a way to let people know of your love but part of that way is for us to share the good news with others. And so help us, Lord, this week to be agents of your love, to share the good news, to know in our own hearts the good news of Jesus, but to share it with others. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you. And we will give you all the praise and glory in all things that we do. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.